McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to PO Forecast episode 75. Well, today we're going to preview one of the playoff contenders, and joining me on the on the podcast is Alex Brune, Wickham fan and co-host of the League One Lowdown. Alex, how are you, mate? Um, yeah, hi, Hugh. I'm doing all right, thank you. A bit um, looking forward to the playoffs. I'm watching a bit of football now. I've got Villa v Sheffield United in the background as we're recording this. So, yeah, I'm just, getting, just glad football's getting back, really. No, no, it's absolutely awesome. And cheers for coming on the podcast. It's great to hear your uh, your perspective as well. Obviously, you uh, will plug this as well, but you've just interviewed Bryn Morris, uh, Pompey Man, as well as doing your uh, your rounds with some of the Wickham guys as well. So, yeah, it'd be great to hear from you. And Andy Mitchamore, also on the podcast, co-hosting. How are you, Andy? Not too bad, thank you, Hugh. Yeah, also buzzing to have some football, some live football back in back in our lives. I've never been so excited for two mid-table Premier League teams to play each other than I was for um, Sheffield United Villa. So, yes, yeah, nice to have it back in our lives. Bit of something different, bit of normality. Yeah, massively. And it gives us something on the po- in the podcasting world as well to properly talk about and analyse rather than, you know, going back and doing sort of season reviews and stuff. Here we are now um, talking about the League One playoffs. So, Andy, do you want to get us started, please, mate? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Alex, I think Wickham came into the season with probably slightly different expectations to uh, the Pompey fans who are, who are listening to this about, about our club. Can you give us a, a summary of what their expectations were? And obviously Wickham have been climbing the leagues pretty steadily over the last sort of five, six years. There's generally been a continuous improvement. Um, can you give us a summary of what the expectations were at the start of the season and how you feel about where you've ended up uh, after points per game has been implemented? Well, I think before the season was... Father, let's go back to the end of last season, because just at the end of last season, um, our manager, Gareth Ainsworth, was told that the budget was being cut by 50%, which it wasn't a big budget at all uh, um, before that. So losing like a lot of your budget, having to release um, three or four players, not by choice, but purely because we couldn't afford them, it's sort of like expectations were at an all-time low within... Um, the Wickham fan best. I was just hoping we'd be sort of like being able to like be in distance of the relic, but just being being able to survive, like and not even like just be able to battle quite hard. So I thought we'd be just a formality we'd be getting relegated, and that was um until we managed to get um an American investor come in, Rob Kuig, who's sort of like well, he just turned the club around from that um to the dark days of um pre. I think only like seven players turned up to the first day of pre-season, which is just ridiculously low for um, a football club in the third tier of England. And there were no there were no money to bring anyone in. We had to rely on loans and just free free players from um, non league. That was what we thought the plan was going to be. But then since Kuig's come in and put some money, in, we've managed to sort of 
signed some marquee players such as David Wheeler, who you lot know, um, fell on your dimmer, Jack Grimmer, players who have got quality to actually compete at the higher end of this level. And I think as um as we got into the opening weekend of the season, obviously we had that game, we had the, our opening game against Bolton, who um could only field their under twenty three team. That sort of made me think that could potentially be us, like having to field a really really weak team in that situation. I know we haven't got a youth team, but we might have to just rely on like, loads of like cheap non league players who went up to the level. So. It just sort of put things into perspective, and then uh, coming up to that game, I thought I didn't I didn't expect this to be where we are now, as in finished in third in the division in points per game. But I thought if we could just manage to stay up and make sure we're solid at one point, maybe we could push and look for a top half finish. So to answer the original question, I think going into the season, I was sort of expecting a mid-table slash a top half finish. So you're pretty chuffed with how things have worked out. Do do you think? that you would have achieved automatic promotion if we'd played out the full 44 games? Or um, are you quite happy to take the third place and run with it? No, I don't think we'd have achieved automatic promotion. Like I know Ainsworth said he, he was confident we would have been able to, and we did look like we had a fairly favourable run-in. But if I'm honest, I think it would have been Peterborough catching Coventry and going up. I think they were starting to hit in some, some good form. Obviously, Tony's pretty much unstoppable at this level and it did look like they would sort of be the team to beat. I've always, I've said it since before balls kicked this year, I think Peterborough got the strongest starting 11, not strongest squad. I think that with everyone's fit, they've got the strongest starting 11 in the league. So the fact they've somehow missed out on getting even in the playoffs is quite um, ridiculous, to be honest. I can't believe that's happened. But, yeah, I'm 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 pretty chuffed with finishing third of points for game because I, I don't think we would have been finishing third if the season had been playing out. Who do you think does have the strongest squad out of interest in, in the division? I was looking through and I and I was I was tying up between Portsmouth and um well I quite like Fleetwood's team as well to be honest. But I think they're more of a again more of a strong start than ever rather than the team. I honestly would say Portsmouth. I was on a Portsmouth contract. I think I was going to say this later on in the podcast. I think the strength in strength in depth in every position is pretty much unrivaled. I like just look at the centre midfielders: Naylor, Close, McGee, and Morris doesn't even kick the ball. And then um I strike the strike force. I think last year the strike force was probably a little bit better with um. Uh, what's his face? James Vaughan, James Vaughan, and um, who's the who's the other big guy? Not Hawkins, Vaughan. Oh, he was, he was, was he only on loan? I think maybe. What Bogle? Are you thinking of? Yeah, yeah, Omar Bogle. That's the one. Yeah, I think those four strikers had. Um, I said it on our League One podcast. Had the most um the, the most depth for any situation out of all the strikers. Are, um, all the other sets of strikers are clubs in this league. And then the addition of Marquis, who whilst he probably hasn't been a headline maker, which you'd expect the fee you paid for him. I think he's still done a nice, tidy job with his own physical presence up front for you. And he's a player I also really like from his time at Doncaster. So I think if you're looking for a strong spot, you've got to say Portsmouth, really. Yeah, I think going back to your point about the teams that are in the or the teams that have missed out on the playoffs, one of the discussions we were having last week on the pod was about if you wanted playoffs that on paper are winnable or teams that, you know, you wouldn't want to face, we, we'd have prefer to avoid facing Sunderland, definitely avoid facing Peterborough, avoid facing Ipswich. And somehow those three teams, as you say, have have managed to not even end up in the playoff mix. So are you guys seeing it as potentially more winnable? Even I mean, obviously you said your expectations aren't aren't high for the for the season at the start of it. But would you say these playoffs are more winnable for you without having, you know, Peterborough, Ipswich, Coventry you know, some of these potentially bigger teams in there. I think Peterborough not being in it's definitely a massive team to avoid because if they would have snuck in it, we'd have been playing them because we were third and they'd have been sixth. And, and I think we'd have lost over two legs against them. Uh, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not massive on Rotherham. I'm not really um, 
massive on Sunderland either, to be honest. And I don't rate Ipswich at all. So I, it's hard to say. I think um, the three, t- the other three teams to um, wick a minute, Fleetwood, um, Portsmouth and Oxford, are all very strong. And uh, Sorry, excuse me. Other than, um, other than Peterborough, I'm, I'm not really... I think all three of these teams are as strong as you could probably expect, really, for the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it is it is incredibly close, actually. Um, it's interesting what fans have a perception on who they'd rather play. I think we ran a poll um, and over 700 people responded on who Pompey fans would rather play in the next round. Um, and I think it was about 70% of them would rather play Wickham rather than Fleetwood. Do you think that's a bit unfair based on how close the league's been this season? Or Because obviously you said you rated Fleetwood highly up, up there with Peterborough. Um, no, I, I expect that to be honest. We we are the smallest club, and we're, we're definitely overachieving in the position we're in. I think if you had to pick, most teams would probably would rather face us than the other three sides in the playoffs. It's just something which it's just it's just the way it is. Like we probably do have the weakest team. It's just we've got, um, in my opinion, anyway, the best manager who can set us up and prepare us in the best way possible. But it, it, if I if I had to pick a team to play out of the four, I probably would have picked Fleetwood as well. It's just. It's just the way it goes. You just, you're, I think you're inclined to just pick to what you choose the smaller teams. Although, even though there'll be no crowd there, which is going to have a massive bearing, especially um for you guys, I'd imagine. It's you just got to look to try and avoid playing the bigger teams. I think because naturally the bigger teams come with um the better players, really. I think with the fans though, sometimes with, I think like Pompey knows as well. Um, having the fans there can lead to added pressure that maybe we won't get now with without the fans there at, at Fratton Park and and away from home. Do you, do you think that the Wickham fans give you guys an advantage or do you think there is that a pressure sometimes to, to succeed as such, like Pompey fans? I think Pompey fans basically put a bit of pressure on the team due to the size of the club to succeed. So does that does that give you an advantage in that sense? Or Well, it's a bit ironic we're talking about Wickham and Portsmouth playing at home as we've got the joint best um, home record in the league between these two clubs. So obviously someone's going right playing in front of them. The home fans, but yeah, I think the, the Wickham fans at home, they're they're, they're, obviously, they're it's pretty much like a lot of other um, home fans at this level. Really, you got your area behind the goal is sort of loud and make the noise, but I don't think there's, I don't think it is similar to Portsmouth in the sense that, especially when you weren't performing well at the start of the season, they were just quite vocally against like the manager and some of the players in the pitch. I don't think Wickham ever really liked that. I think we sort of know where we are, respect where we came from, and we're sort of like oblied to like see whilst we're not going to win every game if it's not going our way we're not first to quickly hop on the back and hop on the back of um the players manager and start um, having a go like that's not really the way the way it's been at this level like when we're struggling towards the bottom of league two they're quite there were quite a few boos and like sort of like murmurs of saying Ainsworth out and whatnot but never to the degree of what it what I saw from some Portsmouth fans singing um we want jack it out before um before Christmas it was never really anything like that that's it's always interesting to see what um, what causes that at Fratton because, as you say, it's, it's a bit of a cauldron, so that can work one of one of two ways, really, can't it? But when we concede a goal, more often than not, the the backing's quite like it's quite vociferous, it's quite vocal um, after conceding a goal. It's when we're at that sort of the nil nil draw stage and things are either sloppy or we're sitting really really deep or we're a goal up and sitting really really deep that people tend to get more critical in a way it's it's really weird that when we're losing or if it's you know you look at the the league cup game we had against uh, a premier league side earlier this season when we were four nil down and the crowd was probably the loudest i've heard it all season to be honest with you um and you know solid chanting for the majority of the second half like non-stop um but yeah it's that it's when we get on top of games or on top in games 
then the crowd's absolutely fine. When we even go a goal down, the crowd's normally all right. It's just the, it's what's happening on the pitch in terms of whether we're having it passed around us or whether we're sitting too deep. I think those are the two things that really rile people up. And yeah, as you say, it's that the difference in expectations. Whereas, so so Pompey, are, you know, being in this league, with all due respect to the league for for the size of the club Pompey are, I I generally generally think we're a Championship club. We're, we were a Div One club for years and years and years. Had a bit of time in the Premier League, which was great. Had some success. Plummeted down to the bottom of League Two for a bit, and now we're sort of trying to find our level again. Which, yeah, as I say, is the Championship. So I think a lot of Pompey fans have got that attitude of we should be doing better than this if we're, if you're, if we're getting actually outplayed on the pitch by other teams. So like trying to just think of something off the top of my head, like Luton last year, for example, played us off the pitch a couple of times. Charlton. Um, I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Charlton. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's when people play attractive football and make us look silly at Fratton. People get a bit, get quite annoyed quite quickly, I think. Yeah, just to touch on that. I mean, I was actually gonna, I was gonna wait to ask uh, what you sort of thought of thought of Pompey in in that sense. But I don't know. No, do you know what? Let's move on. Let's move on. We'll come back to this. Um, oh, if, if I stick on that quickly, I did um, I did go to the game on Boxing Day where you beat us two 0 at Fratton, and the crowd I thought were really good, especially um, just after. I think the goals were quite close together. That period in between the first goal and the second goal. I mean, the crowd were really good. It definitely drew, drove the players on. I remember saying to my friend who I was with, like, cool, they're getting loud behind there, aren't they? And you, I think, I can't remember, it might have been Curtis scored the second or first, I can't really remember. But um, you scored just as I was saying that. So I think, then, well, as the crowds rose, I think, like, the performance on the pitch, you're just passing the ball around a lot quicker. And you were much better than us on that day. And I think the home the home um, advantage definitely played a part in that. Because if looking at the reverse picture, we beat you... I think it was a late penalty, was it? That one nil um, at our place, and uh, yeah, we, we were both down, both down mm-hmm. to ten men. We were, we had an opportunity in that game, didn't take it because I think you went down to ten men first, and then Ellis Harrison, Harrison got sent off. Yeah. yeah, oh, it's so, so sloppy, isn't it? Yeah, it was frustrating. But I don't think like the crowd obviously like wouldn't didn't have a chance to get behind the players. Like I, I, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. I think it really drove the players on. Is what what's the point I'm trying to make in the game against us? So I think it's massive like ahead of the playoffs, um, especially for you lot that the crowd won't be there. So that's why your home form has been so good this season as well. To be honest, of the part of the reason of being the fans. No, it makes sense. Do you think, Alex, that the I know this is a little bit more off topic, but they're going to be playing sort of crowd noises apparently from FIFA. Um, during the games in the playoffs and you know Pompey are doing some sort of cardboard cutouts uh, to go into the stands to make it look like there's fans there what are your views on sort of playing music and fake crowd noises and all this kind of stuff I watched um as I was saying earlier I watched a bit of the Villa Sheffield United game and there were the fake crowd noises and I'm not really a fan to be honest with you like the bloke who was controlling it it seemed he pressed the wrong button at the wrong time it sounded like there were players celebrating a goal it sounded like there were fans celebrating a goal and the ball went out for a goal kick so I'm not really <laughs> too sh- like if it, it, it worked well perhaps it's got potential but personally like I think you just take it for what it is like just at the end of the day, it's still like people playing football. Like just like I think it also be quite interesting to hear like the players call and the managers shouting and stuff. Like you don't really get a chance to hear that much. Like when there's um a full crowd, when there's like a um a full stadium. So it's, it'd be quite interesting like to hear it from like a different perspective. Yeah, massively, and and I think all of us as well. A lot of people listening to this are all pretty football geeks and nerds, aren't we? So. You know the opportunity to hear the players, you know, actually communicating on the pitch is something you don't get to, to hear or see often. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be, especially when you've got um, like the players, like the vocal players at the back, just like saying, like, sort of like keepers ball or leave it and stuff. I like, just wondered how loud you actually hear on the pitch, like the stadium talking and whatnot. I just wanted to move on to the off the pitch um, talk, really. Um, I was listening to your American CFO, how do you pronounce his name? Kuhig? Is um, it Kuhig? Kuhig, yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Kuhig. I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. Did you listen to that one? Um, what is this one with Pete Kuhig? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I listened to the pod, but I spoke to Pete the other day if that's of any helpful relevance to what you're it's, about to say. Well, it's definitely helpful, isn't it? He made a, a statement about, you know, how sustainable, you know, all your worries will be gone and you'll be sorted if you get promoted to the championship. But he's pretty concerned of doubling or tripling his loss, basically, if you are to stay in League One. Now, you spoke to him, so this is a nice, easy question for you, but are you confident the club can survive in League One next season without any fans? Yeah, I, th- I think... Um... I think that Kuig's definitely the the right people to be in charge of the club. I I, I did listen to um a podcast which um Rob did Rob Kuig did with um the Wickham journalist Phil Catchpole, and he said no matter what what um division Wickham are in next season, we will be ready for it, I and mean, we're going to make sure that the the club's ready and we survive. And I think that's what you want to hear as a fan, like no false promises and whatnot. Everything he's um sort of given he sort of like said to the fans so far he sort of like followed up with actions like he came in when we were in a load of debt he, this was even before he's voted in actually when we were in a load of debt the budget was halved and he gave Ainsworth a bit of money to just sort of make some moves in the transfer market before he's even voted in like just out of the goodness of his heart really just to try and prove to the fans he is the right sort of guy and of course actions speak louder than words the fact he's already he already um gave us um, a bit of a financial boost before he was even voted in. It sort of shows that his heart's in the right place and he's not going to toy around with the club because you lot, as, again, you lot know, like if you'll get, if the, um, the owners aren't right for the club, it can be absolutely fatal. And as Berry fans will be able to tell you too, like you need to make sure if you're voting a new owner in, they're going to have the best interest of the clubs at heart not going to just toy around with it. It puts everything in perspective a bit when you're looking at the finances of clubs in, in League One, League Two. We chatted to our CEO a few weeks ago um, about the financial state of, of Pompey in lockdown, and I think the the most relieving moment was when he said that if you know we asked about the financial ability of Pompey to deal with the big hit that they'll no doubt currently be taking, and um, he said that we'll be one of the we'd be one of the final few clubs in this league to be in any sort of trouble, and if we get to that point, then other clubs will have disappeared essentially by then. So I think yeah, that financial reassurance allows you to get more in, invested in what's happening on the pitch because you're not worried about your own club's existence, which is quite quite nice. And we all appreciate that at Pompey after the last decade or so, um, or about 10 years ago, yeah. Um, if we move from the ownership to your manager, so former player manager Gareth Ainsworth, yeah. since 2012, when he uh, became the, the standalone manager, you it's, it's fair to say you've had fairly steady progress, right? So you just about avoided relegation to the conference uh, in... 2013-14, I think it was on goal difference you stayed up, which the final must, have day, been, yeah. must have been a serious session afterwards. Um, and then you slowly sort of progressed up towards League One, a couple of mid-table finishes in League Two, um, lost in the playoffs, and then got promoted in 2017-18. Lower mid-table in League One last year. So you are moving you know, in the right direction. You're definitely trending the right way. Now that Gareth Ainsworth has started getting a bit more attention for this, is there any concern in the fan base that if you don't go up, a, in inverted commas, bigger club might might come in for Ainsworth? And do you think he'd go, even if they did? 
Well, big clubs are coming from already. He's turned down some job. He's turned down Barnsley. He had to. Um, he's had talks at Millwall, didn't go there. He had talks at Lincoln, didn't go there. So I'm not sure it's a case if we don't if we don't go, he's going to go. Like if we don't go up, he's going to go. I think when inevitably when the right club do come in for him, because he's not going to be here forever. You're a fool if you think he will be. When the right club do come in for him, who offer him the right sort of like location, not necessarily money, but of course his wages have been probably like quadrupled if it had gone to Sunderland, for instance, compared to what is on here. I think when the right opportunity does present itself, he is going to go, and that's regardless if we get promoted or not. He's a club legend at QPR. His fact that he's adored by the fans, he, he's always said like, in interviews he's not shying away from the fact that sort of like his club, and like so that sort of hinted he might leave for QPR, who um, are quite renowned for chopping and changing their managers, to be fair. And he supports Blackburn. I mean, QPR and Blackburn are the two sort of clubs I'd be most wary of losing him to. But if he gets a decent offer from another club with sort of like the right um, infrastructure and facilities in place, I, I wouldn't begrudge him moving to one of those either. I think he'd be able to get possibly one of those dream moves even more likely, I suppose, in the future. If he takes you up to the championship, he might be looking out of an upper championship job. Maybe when Leeds bottle it and stay around in the championship. Well, you look at Chris Wilder, don't you? What he did with uh, Northampton Town when we were down in League Two. And look where he is now. He's... Sheffield United now. Yeah, he got he's got a job at the club he supports, his dream job, and he's now taking them on the verge of European football. So yeah, just, it can happen. Yeah, definitely. Are you looking to manage Wickham then when uh, Ainsworth moves on, Alex? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love nothing more to be the Wickham manager, but I don't think I've got the right tactical brain for that. No, we'll stick to football manager, mate. Um, yeah. let's, have a quick look at, let's have a quick look at the squad. Um, it's clear that you guys are not really a high-scoring team. 45 goals scored. Um, you have to go down to Gillingham in 10th to to match that. And Menachem Fenwa leads the team with 10 goals. How important is it that he's fit and ready to go for Wickham? Yeah, he's massive. He's um, he's a focal point and he's sort of, he's been for many games up until this season really been our plan A and it's been no secret that it's sort of played the ball on up to him, get him to play off the more, get him to bring in those, <coughs> excuse me, um, the trickier, quicker players, use him to get them involved in the game. And then, He's often been on the on the end of um, crosses, just nodded them in. Like he is a very big way of what of how we play. But he has only made twenty starts this season, which I think is um, is, is just over half of what the games played. So it shows that we've become a bit less reliant on him. But we also do like he is still like probably the main man when he plays. Like because he take of course he takes two centre halves up to mark him, which leaves space for the other players and. He's got he's got to be fit really to be able to get to be able to get the best out of him. So I think he, I'm pretty sure he is fit for the playoffs, which is going to be absolutely huge. Because he scored um against uh, yeah he scored against Fleet with this season and last season anyway. So he's got a good he's that centre half. So I haven't really got um a good track record of dealing with him that well. Another one of your players that I guess Pompey fans need to be watching out for would be Joe Jacobson, um, who we believe you've recently interviewed. Um, yeah. He's had a very strong season with goals and assists from left back. What makes him such a dynamic player and how worried about him should Pompey be in the, if we, if we end up hopefully playing against you in the final? Well, I don't think he actually played against you um, when we beat you at Allens Park on um, uh, uh, this season. So I think it was Akin Fenwick scored the penalty and I'm pretty sure Jacobson would have taken the penalty if he was on the pitch. So you may not have um, seen him this season, but anyway, his, his crossing ability for this level is pretty much unrivaled as far as I'm concerned. Like you can see from the, the I haven't got the stats to hand, but his goals and assists from defence, I'm pretty sure will be far out as um, the top of the, in the lead of league in the for league one defenders goal contributions. His, his crossing and passing range, you just, 
this is what he said to me. He said, having Akifenra in the team makes um, him look a much better player than what he is. And he just dings the ball across the pitch, always lands on Bayo's chest or head. And that brings in everyone else into the game. It's just this sort of like route one diagonal pass, which just sort of takes out um, a lot of the opposition defence. It's so effective. Like It's all right knowing what you're going to do, but you've got to be able to have a really high press up to stop um, Jacobson playing that ball. And if and if he doesn't play that ball, we can just sort of take it around the defence and so we can sort of play out from the back a little bit. So if we have got some decent ball players now on our side. So you've really got to be on alert to stop Jacobson bringing in bringing Akafenra into the game with just one kick of the ball. Because it's, it can, while teams such as Portsmouth and Oxford are sort of more, um, sort of like they play out from the back and have slow build-up, Wickham would just zing the ball out and then we're sort of in the attacking third straight away. Because Jacobson's passing so accurate and Akafenra's so good at bringing it down. How how do you stop him then in that sense? How would a, how would you play against him? Is, is it a case of the the you know the right winger really getting up on him and not letting me have any time on the yeah, ball? You've got to have a high press and put him onto his weak foot because whilst he he um his left foot is an absolute one like his, his right foot he's definitely not capable of playing those um cross field passes with as well as he is with his left. Like teams have tried to do it and felt I think Blackpool tried a really high press um this season and we just broke their press and sort of played the ball on the floor a bit more, which was quite refreshing in a way to see. But it, you, you just got to be able to not concede any set pieces either, because everyone knows like it's free kicks and penalties and corners and that are just so accurate. But they, but they're played in with that sort of like whip or when he floats them in, you can just you just know that they're going to be right on the money for either Akin Fenimer or Darius Charles to just be able to follow in for. You touched on style of play there, um, yep. and how you don't really do the whole playing out from the back thing as much as potentially teams like Pompey and, and well, Oxford and Fleet would do, to be fair. What, is, what are the Wickham fans' opinions on like the preconceptions that there, there have been recently and in previous years from other clubs? Because to, to not put too fine a point on it, the preconception of, Wigan, uh, of Wickham to a lot of other fans in our league is there's a lot of gamesmanship there's quite a lot of time wasting trying to like, you know, time waste from the 15th minute in away games to, to get a point and to take home playing quite attritional, not very attractive football. It's not a, like, again, no disrespect, but it's not really a game that you look at in the fixture list at the start of the season and go, Oh, that's an away day. I have to get, I have to be at, or that's a game I'm going to be buzzing for. Um, what, what are the fans views on being seen like that by other teams in the league? Is there like a siege mentality or, you know, do you think it's an unfair criticism? I think, I, I see. I can kind of see where you're coming from. Like, I'm not completely deluded, but whilst like all the time wasting reputation is there, I don't think it's as bad as what people make out to be. Like sometimes, as you say, especially away from home, we do like to slow the slow the game down a bit, make sure the opposition sort of can't get into a free flow. But I think that's common sense. Right? You've got, got to play to your team's strengths and like or nullify the opposition strengths. Which like, as you said, teams like Portsmouth, Fleetwood, and Oxford, they all good at passing the ball around and playing like good football so if we can slow the game down and stop them doing that as much as possible it's obviously going to work in our favour I think that sort of also comes back to the manager's attention to detail like he knows what does work against the other teams and it's just doing what you can to try and make sure you give your team the best possible chance of getting a result like okay some games are time wasting especially if we're winning against um a sort of team in a similar position to us it, it can sort of like it it does get a little bit frustrating especially when the goalkeeper's taken an age for a goal kick and then when he does put the ball down he moves it to the other side of the six yard box and whatnot like as like an actual fan paying for money paying money to watch it it does sometimes you roll your eyes a bit but if it's working you're getting results like you don't really mind because at the end of the day like football's a results business and we're sat here finishing third in league one albeit by points per game but we're no way near like 
the third best team in the league. You haven't got the third best squad in the league. We, we haven't got the third biggest budget in the league. So there's got to be some sort of element of success, which is getting us where we are. No, completely. Um, and, and we actually put that sort of question out out to to the listeners and some different people have got involved. So Pompey fans, few Oxford fans questioned in. It was always interesting, I'm guessing, for, for Wickham fans as well. But um, I asked the question of will Wickham's style of play suit the lack of games and lead them to promotion? While, say, some of the teams, and Oxford's a good example, actually, of a team I think who passed the ball round, you know, incredibly well on the floor, might okay. need a bit of time. Uh, to get into that sort of tempo and that flow. And, you know, we've seen some rusty starts, haven't we, across, say, the Bundesliga and other leagues that have gone straight back in. Um, so we asked the fans, basically, do we think that your style of play is going to help with the lack of games and lead them to promotion? So what I'm going to do is just go through a couple of the comments from different fans and uh, get your opinion on them, Alex. Yep. Rob wanted to point out, and cheers for messaging Rob, he said, how many times have they come back from behind to win? They play the way they play. If they concede first, they don't have a backup plan. Do you, do you think that's true? Um, No, not really, to be honest. We beat Rochdale from behind uh, probably about four weeks before football suspended. Got a point against Ipswich coming from behind. Got a point against Peterborough coming from behind. Like, I, I, no, I'm not really sure that's too true at all, to be honest. I think, naturally, if any team goes a goal down, they're less likely to win the game than after conceding the first one they would be if they scored the first goal. I don't think that's, in particular, a massive worry for us, to be honest. How do you think you'll line up in, obviously, a two-legged semi-final is very, very different to a, a one-off league game. You say that um, if you go a goal down, you've got a plan B then. What's, what would you expect to see happen if, let's say, you go a goal down early in the actually are you at home or away first Wait, we've got in, the um the away leg first yeah, okay so let's say you go one down in the first 30 minutes in that away leg do you think Ainsworth will mix things up and like he would in the league and try and you know try and get a goal back or do you think he'll potentially just pretend that that hasn't happened and try and draw nil-nil for the rest of the game. Yeah, what, what one, of, one, of, one of the things which Wickham fans in particular have been quite critical of Ainsworth is his stubbornness. Like he he always believes that like the team on the pitch, like up until like a set minute, is the, the best team possible to get a result in this game. Like, you very rarely see him make an early substitution, which perhaps is sometimes, which is one thing which, which there aren't many which annoy me about. And that's one thing in the past which has really sort of like got me thinking, oh, for God's sake, like, just make a change, Gareth, let's um, mix it up a bit, like, the tactics aren't working, let's just try and try and try something new, but, no, I, I don't know, because I've been sort of, I've been worrying, like, it's funny you mentioned that, because I've been worrying, like, if the tie is sort of, like, if we go 2-0 down or whatnot, and the tie is sort of, like, a little bit out of reach coming into the second leg, I, I think that would probably be it, because as long as we've, um, we're in the tie, but it's taken back to Adams Park, I think we've got a great chance of progressing. So if, if we do go a goal down early, I think we'll just um, stick with it and go on. Like the team I wanted to, us to play was we played against um, Bolton and played and we played a quite an attacking four-two-three-one. But I don't think we're going to play that against um, Fleetwood. I, think, I expect them to put an extra man in the middle and sort of go four-three-three and just try and nullify them as much as possible, and give us something to play for when we take it back home. Is that four-three-three more of a sort of a? Um, is it more of a four-five-one really? With with um with the players pressing on on the break as you put the ball forward, or is it is it a traditional four three three with those three um, players pressing? It's um the three centre midfielders are all fairly defensive based. Like whether it'll be Curtis Thompson, Dominic Gape, who are ball winners and sort of like deep lying playmakers, rather than like your advanced midfielders. And then it'll probably be um Matt Bloomfield, and he's just he's sort of just a runner, like he's box to box. He's 
he's got legs, like he hasn't got the best passing range, but he's always going for the 50-50s and make sure he puts himself about a bit. There's not really like what I call like a creative player or a number 10 there. And I think that's where the defensive element comes into it. And then the two wide players that imagine would be really on your dimber. And I think on their day, they're two of the best wingers in the league. And when we haven't got the ball, they will sort of like drop back. And Jacobson said on your dimmer is a dream to play with down the left-hand side, but he just does all his running for him, tracks back. Makes it really easy to get the ball and um, sort of attack from if we win it back from the opposition's right flank, and that's not really something which Fred gets enough praise for, really, because he's just known as being our, our sort of like best player, our sort of like our driving force, our most skillful attacker, and he doesn't really get much praise for his off the ball work. So it's quite it's quite nice to hear um, Jacobson say that and praise him for that. You just touched on David Wheeler there, who obviously was at Pompey before as well, and he played a bit of a bit part, sort of. Um bit part role for us really a little bit injured in and out played some checker trade games and you know he's obviously moved on to you and found his stride really hasn't he so what's made him succeed so so well at Wickham do you think in this is it the system or has he just got regular game time that he didn't get at Portsmouth yeah I think sort of maybe like when QPR then perhaps Portsmouth signed him like I think you're under the illusions he's like your traditional winger of sort of like beat a man take him on obviously had that great goal scoring season for Exeter and I think he got 18 goals which for a winger, of course, is exceptional at any level. And that's not really like, whilst he did get, he did have that good season extra, his game isn't really revolving around being like your, sort of like the player Fred on your dimmer, it's like your attacker who's going to take a man on, like probably how you see Ronan Curtis, like he's skillful and like create chances out of nothing. That's not Wheeler. Wheeler's sort of like his movement, his link-up play, his um, positional, awareness and, uh, positional awareness and his pressing off the ball is all really key to the way... Um, how we've played and I think if you're getting the best out of him like that and he's doing the hard work off the ball it sort of gives the players like Fred more of a chance to like do do what they can on the ball like it's sort of, in a way I'd say he's a defensive winger like a football manager I sort of have him as like a winger defense support if you know what I mean rather than yeah. um, like your your um, Fred who I'd have as like a inside forward attack he's um sort of the direct opposite but he does have his part for us in the team and I'm really glad he's been for this season he's been excellent it's interesting. Um, we're looking at so we're looking at uh, Fleetwood, who yeah. the bookies have got as favourites against you in the semi-final. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at your track record in the league this season against other teams who are who were in or about around about the playoffs. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm just looking at some key sort of results that jumped out at me. Um, obviously, got turned over by Pompey away from home, but you yeah. turned us over at home. You lost to Oxford away. You lost at home to Fleetwood and drew with them away. It's not like you know, it's not a, a staggering, staggeringly positive record against other teams in the playoffs. Um, other ones that jumped out, losing four 0 to Peterborough, losing four 0 to Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you did turn over Rotherham as well away. Um, would you have rather played Oxford or Pompey rather than Fleetwood, or are you did not really make much difference to you how the draws worked out? No, I'm definitely happiest with Fleetwood to be honest. I don't, obviously, they're not an easy game at all, and it's going to be very tough. But when I went to, I watched um, the Tuesday game at our place, and I follow, and I went to the away game in August. That was um, a bit of a trek, but it's nice to have a couple of days in Blackpool. But anyway, um, like when we played them away, we were much better than them, and we definitely deserved to win. It's just a goalkeeping error handed Paddy Madden a tap in, and like, I think it's like quite late. It must have been nearly the 90th minute. And then, which took, which would have um, took away what would have been a very um, deserving three points. But then, the game when we played them at home, they were we just had an off day. Like they were much better than us throughout the whole game. Like 
and they, they definitely deserve to win that one. But I don't think like we'll be playing as poorly again. I think that if the players aren't motivated for the playoffs, and they should, then there's no way they'll be playing under Ainsworth. Like Ainsworth's a master at motivating players for sort of any occasion. And despite um, the sort of off day against Fleetwood in the home game, I, I do think we'll be much better with it for the game against them in the playoffs. And that's why I think we've got a decent chance of progressing because whilst um, obviously they are like a very good footballing team, I think Portsmouth and Oxford are both better. So you want to like max maximise your chances of going through, and I think we've probably got out of three possible games the one I'd like to have the most. Matching up against um, manager-wise, it's very interesting the Ainsworth versus Barton matchup, isn't it? The uh-huh. sort of uh, Ainsworth being the sort of the, the nice motivator, the guy who inspires the dressing room, and you know Joey Barton obviously has a completely different man management style. And um, how do you think Barton's going to try and get under his skin and sort of try and egg things up? And do you think there's anything that's going to going to work there, or do you think it's just going to be laughed off by Ainsworth as well, such? Believe it or not, Joey Barton's um, has always come out and spoke really positively of Ainsworth like in any press conference um, when we play Fleetwood. He's always said how he's um, Al Gareth's one of the nice men in football, how he wishes more people to be like him, how he's got a lot of time for him and stuff. So I'm not sure there'll be any bad blood on the touchline. But what I do expect is, I think I said this to, I think I said this to um, Joe, one of my fellow League One Lowdown podcast hosts, is that Fleetwood have definitely got the better team. Like on paper, Fleetwood's team blows ours out of the water. When you pull Coots. Josh Morris, Paddy Madden, Barry Mackay, like they're exceptional players. Like we, we we don't have many players of those quality. However, we have got by a million miles a better tactician in charge. Like as this is um similar to what um Craig Mikel Smith and Jacobson said to me um when I interviewed them the other week. They said Ainsworth's attention to detail and um the assistant manager Richard Dobson on preventing the opposition playing and working on their weaknesses is absolutely incredible. And I think it's sort of like the playoff structure that is going to be absolutely massive. Like if you know how to stop the opposition playing and you work really hard over it just to stop them over two games, then you're going to have you're definitely going to have a chance. And that's why. Other than you said about these results, these four nil losses to Sunderland and um, Peter, but if you take away the three, t- it sounds so like ifs and buts. But if you take away the three games we scored four, we conceded four goals in this season. Our defensive record's actually been very, very good. So I think when 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 it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well like to a major extent. But when like the tactics are working, like generally they work really well. And we um both games against Fleetwood were one one, and in one game they barely had a sniff other than the goalkeeper and error. So I think. The manager matchups works massively in our favour, in my opinion. So, what went wrong in those games where you did concede four? Was that where you conceded and then started chasing the game well, rather than we, sitting back? Or when what? we conceded um, four to Coventry, they were by far and away the better team. They blew us apart. I've not seen us. That's the best anyone's played against us this season. They're absolutely unbelievable, and they thoroughly deserve to win by that scoreline. Like, there's no excuse for that one. They generally just did turn us over. The game against Peterborough, we were actually in it and probably started better than them until we had a controversial red card at 0-0, which then gave them a penalty, which they scored. And they got, like, you, you know what it's like playing against Peterborough. They're attacking um, yeah. time, but like, if they're going to get against the Neverman, it's hard to stop them when you get your centre half sent off and you've got to play a centre midfielder and right back and whatnot for like 70 minutes. Like, you, I think we did well just to limit them to score three more other than the penalty. And Sunderland, uh, yeah, Sunderland were just a lot better than us in the day and they deserved to win. So it's not really, I can't complain too much about Sunderland and Coventry results, but the Peterborough one, I think if we'd have kept 11 men, it would, have, it would not have been a 4 0 scoreline. No, that's fair enough. Playing against Peterborough in that sort of situation, the last thing you need is to have them to have more space, isn't it? You know, the likes yeah, of Mo Isa and Ivan Tony. Honestly, of, Tony was yeah. an absolute joke that game. He scored two got the assist for one and then like without touching the ball sort of like a did a dummy to get like 
what would have been an inverted commas and assist, but he didn't actually touch the ball for the fourth goal. Like, honestly, he's an absolute joke. If he's not playing in the Premier League in the next two years, I'll be amazed. Didn't he go and celebrate in front of your homestand like he did with us? Just jumped in front of the front and then they did like a some sort of cheeky little uh, <laughs> cross his arms thing. <laughs> didn't go down too well with the Pompey fans. He had, some, he had something wrong on his T-shirt, didn't he? I swear he lifted oh, up his, I his shirt. Yeah, I, did, I swear he had an undershirt on and I can't remember what it said. Oh, There's too many, too many limbs in front of me to see what uh, was on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, looking at the questions, this guy Will Frisk messaged in. Cheers, Will, mate. He said it's an interesting point um, about your style of play. He says that Wickham have always relied on condensing pitch minutes and the three-game shootout. I'm guessing he means it's in it's only three games as quick suits that. Um, he recalls the game the last season where we won three two. He says you were time wasting from one nil down in the first half, um, and as a means of staying in the game. Do, do you think that's fair? That you know, it's only three games, isn't it? Really, and if if you can go ahead and nick one against against Fleetwood and then defend that lead and take it back to Wickham, I suppose you've got a pretty good chance. Yeah, I do think this. Um, whilst I don't agree with what he said about the three-two match at Marbridge um, last season, but I won't go into that. I do think this um, three-game playoff thing will benefit us because if you look at how well Wickham started the season, when sort of like momentum was less of a factor, when like this, we've got quite a small squad, like injuries and fatigue and suspensions less of a factor. We lost one game up until the week before Christmas in the first twenty games of the season. Like it shows when you're sort of playing like from a when you're start, but the starting blocks when every team's sort of like got no momentum, they've got no injuries, like no fitness concerns. They're just sort of going at it from the off with their strongest teams in and their preferred choice of tactics. So we we can match sort of any team in this league, and I think that sort of showed them how well we started the season. And we sort of got another start to a season now, albeit just a three game season. And I think that's going to be hugely beneficial to us if we can sort of get the most out of it. No, I think it's fair, and I think um, Chris Beebe messaged in, who's actually a Wickham fan, and he says that. You know, contrary to what Will says, the Wickham can be quite adaptive in their playing style, very direct when Nakam Fenwa plays, but can be less so when he doesn't. The return of Obendimwa should mean they could mix things up rather more. Do you think that's that's more of a fair assessment? Yeah, definitely. Um, one goal, well, one move which brings to mind was against Peterborough. I think we scored a goal after like a 24 pass move or something, which started off um, right, that, right back down in the left back area and then we sort of like played across the pitch, ended up with. Um, a right back putting it back from the bar line. I think it was turned in for an own goal. And that's that move we haven't really seen too often in league when Wickham are in league. Well, haven't really seen at all when Wickham are in league two. I think it shows now Ainsworth's got some better players who can who are more technically gifted and better with the ball at their feet. He, he's sort of capable of showing like that his teams can play better football. Albeit our sort of like primary tactic will probably be get the ball up to the big man and let him bring other people into the game. We have got like another another way of playing it. Should it should it be necessary? Just a quick one, actually, on on this um, because I'm just just really just popped into my head a little bit left field. But how do you think would happen in a different reality if Ainsworth was managing Portsmouth and Kenny Jacket was managing Wickham? Um, I think Ainsworth for Portsmouth have been pretty similar. It just it's all about hard work and having like hard grafters like sort of in every position. This is what um Bryn said in the interviews. I sort of I, I did ask him how um Ainsworth differs to Jacket, and he said that. Whilst um, Kenny's team sort of more technical and like like playing with the ball a bit more, and Ainsworth got to you having been like players being as fit as they can and getting the best out of them in every position. And I think I don't know. I don't know how Ainsworth would do it. Portsmouth actually. I, I don't think your play style will be the same as what it is now. I think you'll be. Um, I could imagine Hawkins starting a few more games, using his physical presence up top, and maybe um, having rather than playing your traditional four two three one, I can maybe see a four four two coming in. 
Get Harrison up front with him. Get Harrison and Hawkins up top together. Yeah, someone like that. When you've got like the players running off each other rather than just um, sort of someone like Marquis just there, like having the the physical presence. You've got players like coming in, coming in short for the long balls, not on the flick ons and whatnot. Whilst I, I I can't say um, I don't think we've got the the personnel required to sort of play to play jackets game. To be honest, I think he'd have to sort of have a couple of windows in to sort of get some more ball players in midfield. Players exactly like Bryn Morris, who would some. Or I think would actually suit your team really well if it was fit. So a similar question, like you mentioned um, Akin Penwa there and sort of compared him to Ollie Hawkins in terms of his what he can be used as in playing style. One of the real big frustrations at, at Fratton is the way that Hawkins, again, I'm, I'm not a get-on-the-referee's-back type of fan normally, but Hawkins seems to get a lot of decisions against him when the ball's played up to him in the air. Mm-hmm. And he goes up for a 50-50, and it does seem like every single decision goes against him, purely because he's taller than a lot of the plays he comes up against. Do you find that you think Akinfenwa gets unfairly penalised at times just because he is obviously an absolute tank? Honestly, um, do, it's... Do you think he suffers as a result? Absolutely ridiculous, some of the decisions that go against him at times. And to be fair to him, he doesn't he doesn't react to it. I think he's, he must have had it all the way throughout his career. He's just so used to it. I saw this image, I think it was um, of two Burton players. One of them's pulling Akifema's shirt almost off his back and the other one's climbing all over him. And then Burton got the free kick from that um, from that little scrapbook. And it's absolutely ridiculous just because he's so big and players sort of like bounce off him. It's like he's sort of shoved him out of the way. That's what the referee thinks. But he hasn't. He's just... So big and using his strength, he's using his body effectively. There's nothing like by the laws of the game, he's not actually doing anything wrong. It just like sort of it just must look like a foul to a referee. But it's stupid how many silly decisions go against him. No, massively. And look, I, I'm going to put this out here, Andy. I think Pompey fans would hate to have Akinfemora up front. I think it would not go down well with the purists who want to see more attractive passing out from the back. I mean, yeah, one of the things with Pompey is that. I mean, it's probably the same with most clubs, to be honest. When you watch us, you know, 22, 23 times a season in person, just at home, um, the way we line up at home, you can normally know what the next pass is going to be at any one time, or the next two passes, especially, um, I mean, the the way we play it out from the back. I think it's generally quite predictable, but and you can deal with that quite happily, to be honest, if it works. But I do think, yeah, I agree with you that if we had Akin Fenwa up top and we used him in the same way that Wickham use Akin Fenwa, there'd be a lot of a lot of complaints about the style of the football for sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, um Alex, let's just look at this then. Um I'm gonna what, put you under under a bit of pressure here by by looking at the Pompey Oxford game and just asking you how you think it matches up and sort of a little summary on which team you're tipping to come through there. Okay. I think both teams are actually quite similar. Like, uh, whilst um, I, I, pers- I don't know, like, because I could only really judge from what I've seen in person because I don't like judging sort of like um, just looking at the stats and whatnot each week. And against um, us, that's the- when you played us in that Boxing Day game, Ports were very, very good at passing the ball about sort of like creating space for, um, especially Curtis had a field day that game. Is good at creating space for the wingers to sort of drive at the full backs. And I think that's also sort of some of Oxford's strengths as well. I mean, Oxford was like Brown and Henry on the wing. Like, both of those players are definitely like two of the better players, like attacking players in the league. And when they're driving at defences as well, it, it can cause similar issues to what, say, like Curtis or Harness would do for you. 
So it is really tough to call. So I think both teams are quite similar. But I, I don't know. I, I've just got in my head it's going to be I'm a Wickham Watson player final at the minute. And I, what last week I was convinced it'd be a Fleetwood Portsmouth final. So it's going to change again probably. But I don't. I, I can. I can. I got to say I do think Watson might be able to might just sneak it past you. I don't. I, I, I can't really like envisage too much about the game. I'm not like a fortune teller. But I, I think like when it comes to um. Like they've got so many like individual game winners. Like Ben Woodburn's barely featured them this season. But Matty Taylor scored goals and he's been there. Um, what's his face? Brannigan, Joe's adamant he's the best player in the league, which I'm not having because obviously I think Tony is. But he's obviously like a good player for them. And then James Henry as well, who's, who's um, been so consistent with them all season. I think they've got su- such an array of attacking players that it's going to be really difficult to stop them. So I'm just going to have to sort of lean towards Oxford. Cool. I like it. Nice summary. Did you like it? <laughs> well, I don't like it in that sense, but I, do, I think I thought it was a good summary, mate, and good. Like the honesty. Exactly, exactly. I don't, I don't, don't need to sugarcoat it at all. Um, Andy, do you have any more questions to add, or should we try and summarise and round this one up? I think we've summarised that quite nicely. If you can call a summary an hour, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. everything that needs to be touched on. Um, yeah, hopefully we can replay this the night before the playoff final when we've got each other. A, Definitely, well, that'd be good. Yeah, that, that'd be good. So, go on then. Who's your tips to come through for the playoff final then? Um, Hart, well, I think, yeah, the the bookies have got Fleetwood as favourites for a reason. I think my head would say that Fleetwood are more likely, but it's so difficult. I mean, after, what, three months off, it's literally going to be who hits the ground running yeah, fastest. I, I it's agree. complete leveller. The best thing I can say to is they've got the better players and we've got the better manager. So it's just whoever comes on top out of that. Yeah. What do you think, you? Um, well, do you know what? I, I think I've got whoever comes out of the, the Oxford Pompey game to, to get promoted. Uh, I think Agreed. they're the two best, two best team, two, two best teams. I think in in the League One playoffs. I think I think you could toss a coin over it. I'm gonna I'm gonna back the boys and go and go with us. Um, I know some people are gonna say I'm being a bit mad. You know, we've never won a playoff game. Uh, in the club's history, but I think now's the time for us to try and break that, um, break that record and, and push on. I think I think it's quite possible. Yeah, I believe I even put a fiver on it. I put a fiver on us and um, us to get promoted uh, and Cheltenham in the League Two playoffs as well. Who are you going to beat in the League team. One final there? Um, do you know what? I think I think it's I think it's going to be Fleetwood. I think Fair I enough, just yeah. yeah I just I just think as and you know what. Five to one, I think, is pretty harsh, mate. To be honest, I think that's a bit of a shocking, shocking odd. So, you know, if I was trying to bet to win a bit of money, I think that's actually not that's not a bad shout, to be honest, because I don't think there's a golfing quality that's so that's being shown by the bookies at all. I think it'd be a tight affair if you go up to Fleetwood actually and get a draw. Um, I might fancy you to to go back to Adams Park and and and, uh, and go through to the final. To be honest, yeah, I agree with that as well, actually. I'm so that's how close it said. is. Yeah, 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 a lot of ours there. So yeah, mate, definitely. Um, Alex, mate, it's been great having you on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, everyone, please go and check out um, the League One Lowdown podcast, which Alex um, is one of the hosts on as well. Um, it's, it's a fantastic podcast that covers the whole league, Pompey fans. So it's definitely worth a listen. And where Hopefully can we find the Brent podcast as well? So some of the podcasts fans to look out for. Yeah, t- um, Alex, tell people where they can find you. And um, um, my Twitter at is at Alex Broom underscore, and I'll be definitely retweeting my Bryn Morris interview, which will be out soon. And he's he's had such a tough time of injuries, which I don't think many fans have seen. So it's definitely worth a listen to see what it's been like from his perspective, because I can assure you now it's not been a lot of fun for him either. 
No, I can imagine so. And I think some Bombay fans just get the frustration, and I can be guilty of this, of a player who's injured and out the team, etc. But I think if you maybe if you listen to Alex's interview, you'll, you'll see the human side of it and what it's like to be a player under that much pressure. Yeah, 100%. Amazing. Thanks again, Alex. And until next time, play You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.